0: You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights.
1: Hello, and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with One Step Off the Grid and the EV-focused, the driven. And joining me right now is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, I trust you are well.
2: I am well. Thank you, Giles. I am well, and uh, I'm excited. There's plenty of things to talk about. There's plenty of things going on in the market uh so yeah yeah that's good mate
1: um we were just discussing sort of noise levels and things like that just before this podcast started and i started off sounding sort of as you as you describe it hissy which i didn't actually take as a compliment but um now you're just sort of <laughs> sounding all a bit faded yourself mate what's happening
2: oh i don't know uh i i shouldn't be sounding faded i i'll i'll give you a little bit more gain there and i'll um Focus on my microphone. Focus on, uh, focus
1: on your mi- microphone technique is what my producer always tells me. Yes, yes. <laughs> Mate, um, big news out of um, China this week. Um, there's a big drought, as we're all seeing on the um, on the news feeds, um, just quite extraordinary scenes. Temple's unseen for decades or possibly even more, but it's having an
2: impact on the solar and the battery industry. It sure is, and and in fact, when I when I dropped this little note into um, into our show notes, uh, I think I've seen three or four more stories now uh, on this same topic, and you know the predicament is getting worse and worse and worse. I I did read a story about one town that had you know experienced forty five degrees for sort of three or four days in a row and a minimum of thirty four point something. Uh, during the evening, um, so it is it is devastatingly hot over there, and of course that's affected hydro generation at a huge scale, um, let alone all the all the regular stuff. So there are power cutbacks left, right, and centre, and it is um, uh, affecting all sorts of regions, but particularly a couple of regions where solar panels are produced, where batteries are produced, where lithium is is refined. Um, Now, of course, we haven't seen the impacts of this here quite yet. Um, It's going to take some time for that to filter down. But chatting with a bunch of people in the market today, they said, yep, our suppliers are already talking to it. Um, You know, factories are closed down or temporarily closed or reduced shifts or, you know, just don't have any power to them. So um, this is something that's going to trickle down over the next few months. It's not what anyone needs or wants and of course you know putting aside our own uh, uh selfish interests it, it it it's very very tough for the people in china at the moment and i hope that um, this passes soon so we've had the climate sorry we've had the COVID impact um
1: with um all those restrictions we've had the geopolitical impacts of the war in ukraine and all the fallout from that and now we've got what is undeniably a
2: climate impact yeah, it's pretty hard to deny that it's climate and, and you can look around all over the world. In fact, in Europe as well, we're seeing images of rivers that have dried up for the first time in a thousand years and whatnot. So, you know, it's pretty unequivocally clear that climate is really affecting, which is uh, yeah, one of those crossroads you reach, uh, I hope, uh, where people go, oh, hang on. Uh, this isn't some made up left wing latte sipping conspiracy theory. Uh, This is actually manifesting itself real and we can all see it. So, you know, um, hopefully uh, what this is, is is a strong, powerful message for all of us to keep plowing on with the good stuff. Well it's quite extraordinary really, just and if you think about
1: it, um, you know, we always sort of say, Oh, well, wind and solar are the weather dependent um energy sources but if you actually have a look at what's happening in China and in Europe, so you've got the sort of the um the power restrictions that you're seeing in China, largely because um they've got um coal delivery problems and they've got hydro problems and if you look over in Europe, the Rhine River has um Well, first of all, you've got the shortage of gas, which is caused by the Russian um, war and the embargoes and the fact that they've cut off the pipelines. Then you've got the rivers drying up um, and the reservoirs drying up, which has curbed the hydro output by about 20, 25 percent, I think. Then you've got the rivers drying up, particularly the Rhine, which is sort of impeding efforts to sort of ship coal. Um, to the um, coal generating areas they've um, if they can get a barge down they've got to have it half full rather than full but otherwise it'll sort of scrape along the bottom and then you've got the nuclear plants in France Um, I think It's got a capacity of about 57 gigawatts. I think they're down to less than 20 gigawatts at one stage last week. Um, That's two-thirds of the capacity offline. Some of it planned maintenance, but a lot of it um, unplanned maintenance, corrosion problems, and then, because a lot of them are still restricted, uh, although some of them have been given a leave pass because they either can't get enough water to cool the reactors down or the water in those rivers has already exceeded the um, normal temperature levels where they're usually required to stop because once you put the water in through and around the reactors and it comes out even hotter than what it went in, and that's bad for the environment. (laughs) So um, quite an extraordinary situation,
2: really. It is. It is. And in fact, I'll I'll refer to the infamous pub test because I was... At the, uh, at the local Bolo on Monday night and having a chat with a really nice fellow I hadn't met before. What do you do? Blah, 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 blah. Solar energy. Blah, oh, blah, 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 blah. He said, oh, surely nuclear is the answer. You know, we've got this environmental change going on and, you know, Australia's a really dry place and, uh, you know, it's a good place for nuclear. I said, yeah, nuclear needs a lot of water. And he said, what? I said, well, how, how do you think they cool the reactors? They need an awful lot of water. And he went, you know, I never knew that. I never knew that they needed water in those reactors. That's, that's not good. That's not going to work. It's the driest continent on the planet. I'm out on nuclear, he said. I I had him convinced in half a scooey of new. (laughs) Less than half a
1: skewery. Well, I probably have to, um, I don't want to defend nuclear. Uh, We'll be seen as a defender of nuclear, but there are actually alternatives to using water, I think, for nuclear, and you can also use seawater if you must. Um, But but certainly in France, I mean, look, you know, in France is often sort of held out as this sort of paragon of nuclear virtue. But right now they've got the highest um, electricity prices in Europe. Their spot market went over 1,100 euro last week so that's about Oof. getting close to one thousand six hundred, one thousand seven hundred 600 dollars a megawatt hour that's the day ahead prices their um futures prices for winter um first quarter of 2023 went to one thousand seven hundred euros which is about two and a half thousand dollars a megawatt hour that's baseload that's baseload um in france in reliable baseload Yep. France has gone from being uh, the biggest exporter of electricity to the biggest importer. And that's actually having a catastrophic impact all the way through Europe. um, Mainly because they're supposed to be the backbone of the whole sort of, you know, this sort of interconnected grid. But when they lose about 30 gigawatts of capacity, which is effectively what's happened, um, then that adds to the crisis that's being felt because of the shortage of gas and the high price of gas. And it sends the price of gas up even further. And um, so in many ways, and because this issue may not be resolved for the next couple of years, at least the nuclear part, for many ways is actually a bigger challenge um, because of the sheer amount of electricity which has been lost uh, through the nuclear thing than the actual gas problem. And I actually wrote a story like that about two weeks ago and um, got a lot of grief from the pro-nuclear lobby as usual but um, it's basically these things are being widely thought and widely said in Europe so it's an interesting one and, and look just to add to this sort of the weather dependent uh, fossil fuels let's remind ourselves to that a lot of the problems that we had in the so-called energy crisis in Australia in June were caused by the fact that um, we had floods in mines and on rail tracks mm. and other issues mm. which stopped um, either mining happening in the first place or stopped deliveries because um, couldn't get enough trains through, and um, that meant uh, that added to the problems which resulted in at times half the uh, fossil fuel capacity or the coal capacity not being available which then added to the high prices and then the sort of the price cap being meant and then the whole market being suspended because no one could, no one could behave properly. So um, so there you go Nigel, it's not just when the, wind don't, the sun don't shine and the wind don't blow. It's um, no, a whole bunch of other things.
2: It is. And, and you know, um, you know, solar and, and renewables, uh, as we were talking about earlier on, aren't immune from the impacts of this, whether it be from, you know, not being able to, you know, build solar panels or wind turbines, they all require some degree of water as well. No, Nowhere near as much, of course. But, um, you know, if your factory can't run, you can't do much. If you can't transport people or stuff, you can't ship renewables either. So, you know, we're certainly not immune from this. But, you know, all of this strikes me, Giles, as, as you know, 2022... Is going to go down as the year shit got real, because whether it's I, clim- think, I, a, I think I just found a title for the podcast.
1: I, <laughs> I, I always I was listening to for something I could make from the title from the podcast. The, the year that shit got real. I think that's
2: it. Well, well, I mean, gosh, we've seen climate impacts impacting at a level that we've really never seen before. I mean, profound impacts all around the world, not just here not just there. Everywhere we're seeing these types of impacts. U.S. The US has got bushfires and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's as real as it could possibly get. And, and at the same time, we've got the entire energy industry being flipped on its head, whether it's Exposure to to you know the fragility of relationships through gas pipelines, or whether it's through the amazing graphs that you published today that showed the inexorable growth of solar and the inexorable decline of coal generation in our in our grid, you know, or whether it was the NEM being uh, you know taken control of uh, in our case. So so whichever way you look at it, shit's getting real. That was a pretty cool graph, actually. Um, that, um, was that you fantastic. just referred to. It's a it was fantastic.
1: Um, yeah, look, have a look on Renew Economy. It's the one about um, when solar put um, squeezed out coal and pushed um, minimum demand to a new low. And it's interesting. The market operator is sort of, um, you know, its focus is as much now on controlling the minimum amounts of demand uh when basically you've got so much rooftop solar so well done guys um the more solar you produce the more crunches the um the the coal fire generators um as as much as sort of peak demand and so this graph is basically this um this um, just shows this minimum demand and that just basically means that sort of you know solar is sort of soaking up much of the um the underlying demand and it's being served by um, rooftop capacity um, where they're installed. But it's just this amazing graph, isn't it? Just sort of, you know, you've got this coal-fired capacity, which is output, which is so far higher than solar if you just go back five or ten years and then it kind of got overtaken in summer about two years ago and then winter for the first time, well there's a bit of a dispute about whether it was last year or this year but it kind of depends whether you're measuring it on five minute periods or thirty minute periods, so five minute periods yeah. actually happened last year and thirty minute periods that happened this year, but basically yeah. solar has overtaken um, either this year or last year cold in the middle of winter. Um, um, and basically, you know, it's going to certainly cream it at certain times in, in over spring and summer.
2: That's right, and and you know, uh, we're recording this podcast on the very last day of winter, uh, and you know, it's clear that the sun is staying up uh, longer and uh, coming up earlier and going to bed later. Uh, so we're starting to see solar output ramp up on solar analytics already across the. The massive fleet of megawatts of generation that we uh, monitor all the time so yeah it's um you know we're, we're we're gonna we're just gonna continue to set more records and that graphs just gonna continue to grow and grow and grow and grow uh so um yeah until,
1: until such point, there's another there's there another um, series of graphs put out by the um, market operator uh, this week for their sort of 10-year outlook called the ESU, the Electricity Statement of Opportunities, which kind of forecasts, you know, where we need new capacity and generation and transmission links and all that sort of stuff. But what's really interesting, you actually sort of bury down into some of the state graphs. It just shows negative demand. And like in South Australia, which is like, you know, fairly isolated grid, reasonably small, about a gigawatt you know, in, in in winter, up to three gigawatts peak maybe in summer when all the air conditioners are turned on. But it's got like an absolute, as you say, um, a shitload of solar, um, rooftop solar in particular, which has already pushed the minimum dam- demand down to about, you know, in the tens of megawatts. I mean, it's not much, it's just above zero. It's forecast to go over the next 10, 15 years to minus 2,500 megawatts, you know, because there's going to be that much rooftop solar. Um, over that much demand um of course they'll try and solve that problem by adding storage and maybe even a hydrogen economy but it just goes to show you know the scale at which rooftop solar um will be um over sort of um um, overall demand you look at that and you just think about that and go Maybe we should start thinking about the grid in a completely different way. So you start talking about demand management. You start talking about storage. You start talking about hydrogen um, economy and where that can absorb um, different things. So, um, yeah, fascinating stuff.
2: It is fascinating stuff. And you don't even have to be a data scientist to look at that graph that you had up today with the decline of coal and the rise of renewables or solar in particular in that graph and go, I don't have to be a data scientist to, to plot that forward a couple of years and work out what's, what's coming, you know. Yeah, it's... I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a map you can
1: overlay over the top of it and sort of blame chemtrails or something or, or a 5G tower somewhere. I don't know, almost <laughs> um, certainly. Look, on that note, um, Nigel, I think we'd better take a quick break and um, have a message from one of our sponsors.
0: Clenergy is an Australian-founded enterprise providing innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Clenergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products and solutions for residential, commercial and utility scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application.
1: And, of course, we'd like to thank each of our sponsors and all of our sponsors, uh, Clenergy and Solar Analytics and Sunwiz for their ongoing and continued support. Nigel, let's bring it back into the domestic solar market. What news have you got?
2: Well, I'm going to, the risk of sounding like a plug. Um, <laughs> Sorry? No, we've just had the message from our sponsor. <laughs> well... We're about to, we've sort of soft announced, we've made a few public announcements, but something very cool is about to happen, Giles. For decades, for, for in fact, for pretty much the entire 30 years that I've been in solar, whenever we talked about measuring people's energy consumption in the home, and we would go, Well, buy a device, buy this device, and it'll measure your consumption. You need a consumption meter. And they've got smarter and cheaper and, and you know, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of them are installed. But there was always this strange logic where we would say, but, you know, there's a retail meter already there. Why do we have to spend the money to put another meter in? Why can't we get the data out of the retail meters? And we kind of went through this argument for decades and everyone just went, right, okay, bugger it. We'll put our own meters in and we'll develop them and get them cheaper. Well, guess what? We are now moving into phase two of a three-phase trial where we are going to obviate the need. We are going to remove the need to install a consumption meter to measure consumption because we are finally, after decades and decades and decades, finally able to get access to that retail meter data. We've conducted our first pilot trials in Victoria. We're now moving to phase two, again focused in Victoria where the data is much more accessible. And later on this year, there is a rule change which has taken you know, the entire 30 years I've been in solar to come into place. That means that retailers are obliged. It becomes mandatory for them to provide that data to people who are suitably approved and qualified so that the consumption meter isn't required. So consumption metering without a consumption meter knocks $500 plus off the cost of a solar system. This is materially going to reduce the cost of a solar system without reducing the ability to see that consumption data firstly. And on top of that, it means that you now will get access to other valuable information that the retailers have been sitting on. What tariff are you on? Has it changed? Who's your retailer? What's your controlled load doing? Because we're measuring that too. So all of a sudden, this world of new information is going to become available. Um, We're now starting to roll that out in Victoria. We anticipate rolling it out. Late this year, early next year, uh, uh, across uh, Australia, uh, as the data rules require retailers and DNSPs to make that data available. So this is a game changer for solar. It's coming right at the right time too, when you know costs are under pressure, prices are going up, and so being able to remove, you know, as much as maybe five percent out of or ten percent out of the cost of a solar system. Um, is is going to be doable, and so um, that's hugely hugely exciting for us, Giles.
1: It is pretty exciting. No, well done. That's great. I mean, it's just what we just sort of said about the rule change. You've been working on it for decades. I mean, uh, rule changes do tend to go at that sort of
2: glacial glacial pace. Um, I didn't have a I didn't have a grey hair on my head when we started talking about this rule change, Giles. And uh, finally, here we are. <laughs> why, why, why did it take so long? What was the objection from the retailers? Oh, look you know too hard too expensive too difficult you know, under, fundamentally fundamentally undermine their whole existence yeah all that kind of jazz so there there look there are some there are some. It's not easy to do. Um. Uh. It requires some a, a lot of hard work. Our team have been working extraordinarily hard to get even to where we are, and there's a lot more hard work to go. Um. And and you know we're just on the verge. It's it's really an early pilot stage. Um. Uh. It hasn't hit the wider market yet, and you know it's. It, fingers crossed everything goes really really well not just on our side our side's pretty well buttoned up but we've got to get all the retailers and dnsps and get all their apis working and everything else so there's a a lot of work to go but uh it is just a wonderful wonderful thing that we can now start using the technology that is out there all these arguments for smart meters that have happened over decades and decades and decades well, they are starting to roll out finally and that gives us the access to that data. So um, that's, that's one of two very cool things that have happened this week at the office. What was the other one? Well, the other one that we did was another integration, actually. But this is this is more about how we help solar businesses become more efficient. And so, typically, a solar business will do a design in a piece of uh, solar software, perhaps something like Pylon, which is one of the one of the more popular design programs. And they do the design and they sell the system, and then they come to you know commission a solar system that might include a monitoring solution like Solar Analytics or one of the others they got to re-enter all that same data that they already entered into the design software. So we got our heads together, our smart guys from our office and the smart guys from the pylon team's office. And we said, what if we, what if we could make a button that you could just press that said, right, we've done the design. The system's been sold. We're ready to commission. Press the button. Pull the data across. Create the site automatically save 70, 80, maybe even more percent of your time and use that data that's already there. Use the intelligence. Avoid um, you know typos, avoid errors when you're when you're creating sites, save time when you're commissioning it's this end to end automation that everyone has been searching for and we finally nailed that last week the week before we announced this integration with pylon so for users of pylon and solar analytics now you can save 70% plus time on commissioning just click a button pull the data across and boom the site's automatically created and this is the kind of automation that we're now starting to flow see flow through into the into the sort of business end of the solar Uh, industry which um, which helps us all reduce costs very good it was a pause to
1: to admire your good work Nigel and also to find the unmute button Um, the (laughs) there's been a a bit of other stuff going on around the industry
2: Um, one of the more interesting retailers has closed down Ah, yes, Social Energy uh, announced that it was closing down Australia. Now, Social Energy are an interesting one because I didn't really know much about them, UK-based company. I didn't know anything about them until about six or nine months ago when a buddy of mine uh, contacted me and said, Nigel, I've had a quote on a solar system, could you have a look? And I said, sure. He sent me through this quote and I have to give Social Energy credit. It was a digital masterpiece. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous quote. Uh, it was, you know, had all these options in it. It was gorgeously produced. Uh, you could change the option that you were looking at digitally on the screen and, and it would change your path and the customer experience as you went through. And then you get to the end, it said, right, click a button here to uh, to, to, to sign up and agree. So terrific quote but it prompted me to go and look at this company and go who is this company and what are they doing and as it turns out um they were a british company who'd come to australia and kind of replicated the model they had in the uk they were very successful in the uk um and it got tens of thousands of sites if i recall correctly um connected up did a lot of stuff with vpps over there a lot big focus on batteries um but unfortunately that the lesson that was learned was you can't necessarily transfer that over into Australia and of course Australia's energy market's in a bit of a schmothel at the moment.
1: Well, it's really just about the fact that it's just sort of dominated and the power just lies with the huge legacy um, incumbents. I mean, you know, we've probably lost about half a dozen small energy retailers over the last couple of months and some of them have been really innovative and and fantastic. I mean, I'm just thinking of Enova um, Energy, which is the community-owned retailer yep, up here in the Northern yep. Rivers and had started yep. selling energy um, electricity in Sydney and in the Gold Coast, I yep. think, and in other parts of the, um, in, in other parts t- of the grid. They
2: had tens of... T- t- tens of thousands of customers are over right they'd they built up quite a bit of scale they, they, um, they did
1: and they, and they couldn't and, and and these are the sort of organizations that we really must have to kind of try and facilitate the future and to think differently about it but um that's right, that's about, right. about the grid but they just can't survive under this sort of well they're just basically not protected i mean you know australia has this sort of you know competition and consumer commission but it's um it's just basically a big joke it's just basically there to sort of defend the interests of the big two or three and to ensure that there's at least two or three but probably no more yeah. um and um in in in, in my mind um has, has has just been you know a completely hopeless failure yeah, um, anyway. it's
2: it's really hard to be on uh, on the on the cutting edge of this tech, and you know I think social kind of like a Nova, but at an even smaller scale, they were trying to do solar retailing. They were trying to do retailing of electricity they bundled that into their offer and they were very very focused on VPPs. and um you know after you know i don't know 18 months or so that they were really working hard in australia maybe even longer um you know the, the according to the news article they they'd only accumulated 280 customers which is just nowhere near enough scale so it kind of highlights that. You know vpp is a fascinating really really interesting space that has all sorts of benefits and is delivering really really good results but the challenge is you've got to get it up to scale and you've got to get up to scale very very quickly or you are left horribly horribly exposed and of course those customers now who who purchase systems based on you know being able to trade energy or whatnot they're kind of well now they're flipped over to the retailer of last resort and who knows whether they'll get the returns that they were promised. So yeah, tough space. Well,
1: 280 customers isn't quite enough, I don't think. Not enough. Not enough. Okay. Really... Now there's some um, a couple of Crap Solar things um, happening. Um, what can you tell us there? It all just sounds a bit messy and a bit unsavory.
2: Yes. Well, I'm going to pull this one off. Uh, this is off the Crap Solar page and a number of people have contacted me about the infamous Infamous Central Coast Inverter Bandits. Uh, now, the Central Coast Inverter Bandits have uh, have come across our radar multiple times. Um, and um, I, know, I know a bit about this. Uh, and uh, the, so the story goes is what happens is someone says, oh, I don't think my solar system's working properly Oh, oh follow some links on google to a company nearby to me on the central coast who says they can fix it and they specialize in this and they come out and they have a look at the system and they go oh yeah yeah no that's no good that's broken by the way we checked your inverter uh and we found it was faulty so we've taken it off the wall we're going to take it back to the workshop have a look at it and we'll let you know what's going on and uh poor customer says oh okay that's not good it's not safe Uh, you've told me it's not safe okay and then very promptly uh, sometimes even on the same day they get a report back that says yes we've done an analysis on your inverter and the inverter is indeed faulty and not repairable Uh, and I can't come and work on your system because it's now unsafe Um, but if you like if you like we could do this as an insurance job Uh, I'll put a claim through that says it was struck by lightning and here's a quote for a new system." Uh, that quote happens to be maybe twice or thrice what the going cost for a solar system should be, but it's okay because it's being paid for insurance. Sign here. Uh, I have actually spoken to people who are electrical assessors working for the insurance companies on multiple cases of this. And I've spoken to customers and I've spoken to people involved in this um, at all sorts of levels. And I warn consumers against taking Advice from companies if you are particularly if you're on the Central Coast, be very very careful about taking advice from companies or and certainly do not any let anybody take your inverter off the wall uh, unless it's uh, someone who you are extremely sure is doing the right thing. And if anyone anyone ever mentions why don't we just sneak it through on an insurance claim, think twice because if there's fraud involved, which is the allegation in this case, only an allegation, but if there is fraud involved, then uh, everyone's in a world of pain. Yeah, probably do more than think twice, just don't do it. Um, yeah. So
1: is, um, I mean, so, so this activity is known. Is there some authority which is clamping down on this behaviour? Yes, there is. Well, good. <laughs> you sound a bit mysterious there, Nigel. Um, probably can't say too much. Correct. <laughs> very good okay what else have we got
2: a uh, little bit of gossip on the market uh captain green has been sold i heard learned on the grapevine recently now captain green uh has been one of the one of the larger solar retailers in the market uh particularly focused on new south wales um have uh, been around for a while um sort of at the budgety end um uh, not the cheapest in the market but certainly down at that sort of budgety end quite a big company so you know in terms of volume and scale and everything else very very successful but i did hear on the grapevine that they have been sold i have not been able to ascertain who the buyer is but segue to great solar business next week i'm doing an expose um, I'm going Ooh, to an expose on an expose on a company that I'm just going to refer to as one of the largest residential solar companies in the world, based in Australia, with, let's say, a somewhat opaque story. And uh, for many, many years, there's been lots of rumors, lots of stories, lots of criticism much of it founded, some of it unfounded. And I have spent (laughs) probably a decade tracking the ups and downs of this group of companies. And I decided it's time for me to tell everything that I know. Uh, It's not a criticism necessarily, certainly not a plug necessarily. It's really to try and share the truth, and there's a lot of truth on the public domain, and so I'm going to be focusing on publicly available information, and a lot of conversations with a lot of people over at least a decade to try and unpick this story. So there's there's a lot going on in our industry, and uh, I figure this is a story that's worth telling.
1: Sounds like one of those sort of eight or ten part sort of sort of crime mystery podcast series or something like that. But look out, Hadley. Look out, Hadley. You're
2: pretty sure you can fit it all in one, into, into one episode? I don't think so. I think so. We'll see. We'll see how the lawyers react. Maybe there'll be a second follow-up episode. <laughs>
1: If there's any lawyers out there who'd like to uh, act on our behalf, uh, please get in touch (laughs) before the Great Solid Business podcast is broadcast next Tuesday. Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to talk later about that one, Nigel, but anyway, um, sounds exciting. Um, Mate, have we done with Solid News? We might just have to hop into sort of EV land for the last couple of minutes. What do you reckon?
2: Yeah, that's a great idea. Before we do that, let me just mention that last week on Great Solar Business, I had a wonderful interview and a a great chat with Eric Zimmerman. Um, It was about safety uh, on the rooftop in particular. And um, lots of people have actually reached out and said it was a really good episode. He's got a product um, that he um, supplies into Australia that is um, probably, arguably one of the most popular products for helping keep people safe on the roof but eric really had looked into rooftop safety he had a really interesting story to tell about how safety had actually helped him sell his business which is a whole nother angle and how you know promoting safety can actually help you potentially win solar jobs in uh, a very tough competitive environment so uh, tune in to um tune into last week's gsb to hear about that um and on to evs giles
1: Yeah, it's been a pretty interesting um, week actually, a bit of a fun week. Um, Bridie and Riz, who sort of um, write for The Driven, which is our EV focus website, been sort of keeping pretty close tabs on what's happening with byd which is this big chinese maker and its first new um electric vehicle into australia and a heck of a lot of interest um, for obvious reason it's probably the lowest priced new electric vehicle in the country around about forty five thousand dollars, i think for the base model um slightly higher for a slightly extended range or um what have you um but they came out and um and there's been there's been a lot of expectation and a few delays and there's probably a couple of thousand on, on orders And then all the customers suddenly got this email um, last week telling them about the servicing costs and a lot of them were pretty damn surprised. It was about two and a half, three thousand over the warranty period and they're just going, hang on, why do we need such a high servicing cost um, for an electric vehicle which doesn't have anywhere near as many moving parts? as a uh, internal combustion engine vehicle um so there was this huge pushback and people were sort of threatening to cancel orders and there was an online petition and we ran a few stories Ooh. and byd Ooh. and the um, there um, people here got upset with us because we did that but um, we're just saying well guys um it's an issue so you know anyway yeah. they changed their mind and they've actually sort of reduced the servicing costs and offered one year free um servicing stuff so um happy ending for all the customers look at the
2: influence look at the influence of the driven cutting through and changing the shape of electric vehicle offers in the market that
1: is (laughs) thank you thank you but um look no, look great great work by the team
2: to sort of do
1: to do that i mean look we're pretty excited about the car because we just think it's fantastic that people got a new offering and it's coming in at a reasonably low price but um you know you've got to kind of report on the faults and the defects and um, some of the problems with the uh, with the package and that's what we've done and um, we've achieved change so um, fantastic no, it's pretty exciting
2: absolutely fantastic speaking of uh, speaking of change and lessons learned uh, I thank you for publishing my epic I think it's the longest blog I've ever sent you uh, and when I emailed you about, no no Nigel,
1: it's the longest blog that anyone has ever written <laughs>
2: Okay, it was four thousand seven hundred or something words. But you know, the good part, Giles, is A, you published it for me. Thank you. I really appreciate that. B, where that came from was I got on Facebook and I I kept getting all these questions about the live wire. And I said, right, everybody, just to ask, give me every question you've ever had about what it's like to own a live wire, and I'll try and just do a one hit answer to it. And, of course, that went on for some weeks and months. There were a lot of questions, and some of them were really, really interesting. Uh, we in fact, all, it's not fair. All of them were really, really interesting, I thought. Um, and, and it revealed some really interesting little insights into the bike. In fact, I learned a lot. Uh, going through the process and talking to other owners who had really interesting, fascinating questions that I hadn't even thought of. Um, So it did turn into a rather long epilogue, but um, there is an enormous amount of information in there, especially for potential other builders of bikes. And in fact, I've had one of them contact me and say, oh, that was kind of interesting. Can you give us some thoughts and feedback on this stuff? And uh, just to wrap all that up, I did learn one of those quirky little lessons about electric vehicle ownership just last week, which is covered in the article, but I'll share it, Jules, because I I often park my bike on on what's called a a front wheel stand where you just kind of ride the bike in and a a stand grips the front wheel um, just through friction. The rubber sort of sticks to the stand and you just prop it upright rather than sitting on its side stand. It's very convenient for maintenance. It's designed for working on bikes. I park my bike like that in my shed because I've got one bolted to the floor and uh came down to jump on the bike the other day and uh opened the shed door and there's my bike lying on its side there's not a thing as a motorcyclist you ever want to see and i went "Oh no it's probably done all this damage and broken all this stuff and blah 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 anyway i I gently picked it up first time i've ever picked had to pick the live wire up it's fairly heavy but i managed it luckily for me Apart from the handlebar grip suffering a bit of damage, that was the only damage that was done because it happened to hit a wooden box. And so it protected everything else. Uh, It Sort of saved the fall, if you like, and went, oh, got away with that. Stood it up, turned it on, nothing happened. Absolutely dead as a doornail. Couldn't do anything. Now, luckily I have a contact in Harley-Davidson. So this is about 6.30 in the morning. i Julie text messaged my good friend, said, oh, help, help, help. My bike won't start. What have I done? And I explained what had happened. He said, oh, I'll tell you what's happened. It's fallen over. And when it fell over, it triggers the alarm system and turns the CAN system on and disconnects the main battery. So the little twelve, tiny little 12-volt battery that sits down behind the back of the main battery, which is fed, fed by the main battery, that's now carrying the load of the CAN bus. It's trying to send messages over the app. It's running the flashes. And of course, because I didn't realize this had happened, it did it all night long. It flattened the 12-volt battery. And all the water pumps and CAN bus, all those systems operate off the 12-volt system. So, of course, none of that would work because the battery was dead. So that was a lesson to me because that's not covered in the manual. It doesn't say if you drop your bike and just leave it laying on the ground for six hours, it won't work. And here's how to solve it, unsurprisingly. So you know all all sorts of little nuances like that around ownership that uh, both myself and other owners around the world are finding out. So um, some good lessons in that one. Good stuff. Okay. Well, and I commend people who have um, um, more than a little bit of spare time to
1: um, to go into that. Maybe you should just do an edited highlights. You know, like the three biggest reads, the thing, three biggest things <laughs> I've learned from the Harley Davidson rather than <laughs> yeah. the twenty five, the abridged version, the abridged, the abridged. version. Yeah, okay. Well. <laughs> It
2: might be the most detailed one ever on
1: the internet about a live look wire. it's going to be it's it's, it's going to be look it's, it's going to end up being one of those academic documents i think it's going to be citated, it's going to be cited in morris esq sort of, you
2: know something 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 anyway yeah, yeah yeah anyway and and just to close off on the ev space giles next week i'm kind of excited because i'm swapping the live wire for a fonzarelli uh michelle and her team have kindly invited me over to come and test one of their new bikes and to see the new facility over at alexandria so um i'm, I'm flipping them the keys to the live wire and they're flipping me the keys to one of their new fonzarellis and i'll uh i'll give it a give it a test ride for a few days fantastic sounds brilliant
1: look forward to that look forward to seeing um reading about that that'd be that'd be great nigel um it's been a pleasure once again Um, probably time to wrap up and thank our sponsors uh Sunway solar analytics and clinergy Remind people that uh, your great solo business um, podcast of last week, all about safety, and next week, all about this um, this mystery company. So we can't. We we, we um yes, we, we look forward to seeing to to, to hearing that one. Um, of course, there's the Driven podcast. Um, we've got the Energy Insiders podcast, which is the weekly one. Um, thanks to everybody out there. Please do send us your feedback, and um, we'll be back again in a fortnight. Bye for now.
0: Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, SunWiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwizcomau forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer Solar Analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au